Thanks for joining us at Reveal, a Jesus-centered community. To learn more about us and what's going on, check us out on the web at www.revealvineyard.com. We hope in the minutes to come, you're able to find God, find others, and find yourself. Thanks again for listening. Let's pray and um, see what God has for us today. Holy Spirit, we're uh, talking about a, a subject that I think many of us need to hear. I know it's a subject that's uh, close to me today, close to very uh, dear friends of ours and um, Lord, many in this church. And so we're asking that you would come and fill us and speak to us. I pray that you would renew our minds, you would renew our hope, you would renew our vision for our future. Lord, I pray for uh, many of us who are in a season of wrestling that we would not walk away from faith, but we would continue to grapple with the difficult questions of faith and the whys, and that um, today you would empower us a little more uh, to keep us holding on, to keep us wrestling, to keep us searching, um, and to keep us seeking after you. And so, Spirit, have your way among us. Be with us as we worship even through our giving. In Jesus' name, amen. We were scheduled uh, to begin a new series today, uh, and I put it off because of the overwhelming numbers of people who have come to me recently and said something, and I'm paraphrasing, saying something like, life is kicking my butt right now, and life just seems hard right now. And it doesn't matter what I try, it doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't seem like it's getting any better, it seems like the universe is against me. Some people said it seems like God is against me right now, my prayers are flat, God seems distant, every day is a grind, every morning I awake to a new set of challenges that I'm unsure I can meet, nothing seems to be working. I pray for change and nothing happens and sometimes things even get worse. And they're asking an important question, where is God in my suffering? Where is God in this season of darkness? Where is God in my time of pain? I I want to believe that God cares, and I know I'm supposed to believe that God is good, but right now I'm not seeing the goodness of God. I want to feel his presence in this season. I want to sink into his peace. I want to know he's in control. But I have questions that are beginning to overwhelm me and I'm losing ground. And I think all of us at some time, at some point, we've asked the question, where is God in my suffering? Where is God when life is dark? Where is God in my pain and in my struggle? Why am I going through this? Why did it happen to me? Why is my relationship failing? Why did it end in divorce? Why was I called out? Why can't I get ahead? Why did the cancer come back? Why are my kids making bad decisions? Why? And where is God in all of this? And sometimes it seems like the hits keep coming and darkness encroaches on all sides. And for some of us, we've been in the fight for so long that we're just fighting tired, good faithful, God-following people who are simply just tired of the grind, tired of fighting. Maybe too many rounds, too many hits, too many times knocked to the canvas has just left you numb and the question of where is God and all this, you don't know. And so let me start our series by saying this, that you are not alone in your feelings. And that there are, in fact, good, God-fearing, Christ-following people 
across this room who can relate to everything that you're feeling. Not only are there people in this room who can relate, there are people on this stage who can relate. I, I, I understand what it is that you're feeling. People who wrestle with God over things that we do not understand. People in this room, people on the stage, and quite honestly, people littered throughout Scripture who understand what you're going through because they've tasted the bitterness of your situation and they've tasted your circumstances. Men and women who wrestled with God over God's plan and God's ability and God's involvement and even God's goodness. One powerful example we see in Mark chapter 9, there is a father who has watched helplessly as his son uh, continues to suffer. And, and he brings his son to the disciples, hoping the disciples can do something. And the disciples give it their best shot. And he must have heard of all the miracles going on. He brings his son to the disciples. And they try and they kind of look on. They're like, uh, we, we don't know. We, we gave it our best shot. And then he, he takes his son to Jesus, who is his last hope. We pick up in verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And the father said, from childhood, he answered. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Man, I love this guy because I relate to this guy. I mean, he's raw, and he's hurting, and he's fired, tired, fighting tired, and, and he utters this phrase that I can relate to because I've lived it. I believe. Will you help me overcome my unbelief? And do you see it? Do, 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 do you see it? He's saying, look, I want to believe. I need to believe. Everything in me is screaming to believe, but life has devoured my belief. Too many hits, too many troubles, too many problems and circumstances have devoured my hope and my world is dark, but with the little I have left, I believe, will you help me in my unbelief? I think that's a powerful prayer. I think it's a prayer that some of us need to make our own. That I believe, can you help me in my unbelief? It's the confession of a heart trying to rediscover the character and the goodness and the power and the presence of God. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Hey, if you're struggling today, you're going to like the character that we're going to study. His name is Habakkuk. He lived about 600 years before Jesus. Habakkuk uh, was a prophet in the Old Testament with one twist. Most prophets spoke to the people on behalf of God, and Habakkuk spoke to God on behalf of the people. And his name summarizes his existence. Habakkuk means to embrace and to wrestle, and that's exactly what he did. He wrestled with God over things that he did not understand. In his position, he asked the question that people around the world are asking, God, why is this happening? God, this isn't fair. Why are you not changing the situation? Why does evil prosper and you do nothing? Why do I pray and you seem silent? Listen to the beginning of Habakkuk 1, starting in verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look 
at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Habakkuk's story, it's not an easy one, as your story is not an easy one. Habakkuk's story is not a sitcom story. You know what sitcoms are, uh, 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 you know, Modern Family and Blackish and The Good Place and you know, things, things like that. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, love that one. And all of the formats in every sitcom since I was a kid have all been the same. There's some kind of tension. The stars get into some kind of, uh, of, of tomfoolery. Some kind of problem comes up. And at the end of 30 minutes, less when you, when you take in commercials, at the end of 30 minutes, everything is solved. All their problems are neatly tied up, and the show ends with everyone being happy and everyone going on their merry way. Habakkuk is not a sitcom because his problems are not resolved in 30 minutes or 30 days or 30 months. So you need to know that Habakkuk is not a sitcom story and this will not be a sitcom series because your life is not a sitcom. It's deeper than that. I met with someone last week who said, as, as pastors, we're kind of prone to, to, at the end of every message, we're prone to give you a neat little package where everything is neatly wrapped, professionally put together with a bow on top. And we take all of these problems and we solve it at the end and we say, here is your, here is your answer. I did all the work for you. All you have to do is take it home. And they said, but sometimes what people need is not for us to present them with a neatly wrapped package. We need to give them the box. We need to give them the wrapping paper and we need to give them the bow and we need to say, you're going to need to figure this one out. And that's what our series is. Hope in the dark. I can't solve this one for you. I can't solve it for myself. I can only position myself to come through the other side. See, if, if you need hope in the dark, if you're overwhelmed with questions, you're going to need to wrestle with it. And that's not an answer we don't like to hear. We like it neatly wrapped up at the end. See, sometimes life deals us sitcom problems where you lose your job and it rattles you for a moment. It's intense, but in, in a few weeks, you get a better job. Or your boyfriend breaks up with you and you're shaken, but then in time, you find a new boyfriend and realize your old boyfriend was a loser, right? And suddenly life is better. Or, or your car is stolen and three weeks later, the insurance gives you more money than you thought it was worth. These are sitcom problems. By the way, anyone have a car that you prayed would be stolen every day? I, I had some. Yeah. Have you ever left your keys in the car praying that it would be stolen? I've done that as well. Yeah, I have. We have a, a, a church truck that's just a beater out front, and it's been broken into twice. And both times, I think it's the same person, took a screwdriver and a hammer and just beat it into uh, the ignition, trying to break the ignition lock so they can take a screwdriver and start it. And both times they failed. All they did is ripped up the steering column. I, I have put a note in there. I laminated it with a YouTube link showing them how to do it <laughs> the next time. Erase that for insurance purposes. We won't get paid out on it, right? But there are times that life throws us sitcom problems, and sometimes life throws us problems that are more like a miniseries. They just don't go away, and they're not easily solved. Sickness and divorce and death and financial issues and family problems and work drama and depression, and we, like Habakkuk, are left to wrestle in the darkness. 
more than 2,600 years ago, Habakkuk asked many of the same questions that people all over the world are asking. And in his grace, God answered some of his questions, but what we're about to find is that God also left many of his questions unanswered. But on the other side of his doubt, on the other side of his wrestling, he developed a faith that I don't think he would have developed if he did not go through the situation. Let's read it again. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice, and why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife, and conflict abounds. And before we continue in the book of Habakkuk, I want you to understand a little bit of the history, because you will feel more of what Habakkuk is feeling. Throughout Israel's history, they had numerous kings. It was never really God's intention for them to have a king, but they looked around at the other nations. They were like, hey, everybody else has a king. We want a king. And God's like, fine, you want a king, go for it. Their first king was Saul. He was a disappointment. David was one of the kings. Most of the kings did evil. Some of the kings, a few of them, did righteous in the sight of God. And uh, we go through several different kings, and now we're in the reign of Solomon. He was David's son. Solomon's reign was, was good. It was righteous in the beginning. He kind of faltered a little bit at the end. But Solomon was given the task of building the temple of God, which he embraced and, and, and did. And it was one of the, the golden years in Israel's history. The temple was finally established. And all of their religious leaders were saying, wait for it. God's going to do something. God's going to establish us. God's going to root us in the land. And people were like, is it ever going to happen? And now it is, it's finally happening. They embraced the land of promise and the temple temple is built and there's finally peace and the economy is doing well and, and things are, are moving in a positive direction. But then like all good things, it comes to an end. Solomon dies and soon after Israel begins to implode. And there's fighting between his sons, and there's a split, and then there's a northern kingdom, and there's a southern kingdom, and in the north there's two tribes ruled, ruled by uh, the king Jeroboam, and in the south there's ten tribes, who is Rehoboam is their king, and, and uh, eventually Israel, the two tribes are kind of swept away, the Assyrian army comes in, carries them off into exile, and so now there's only left is, is Judah, Israel's kind of, the, 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 the two tribes have kind of been taken to exile, there's ten tribes left. And there's several more kings, most of them doing evil. And we catch the story uh, with King Amon, uh, who was an evil king. And he leads Israel into idolatry. And he sets up all of these temples to other gods, and they're worshiping other gods. And the, the temple uh, that Solomon built, which was a testimony to God's faithfulness to bring them out of bondage, begins to fall into decay, and, and life begins to take a downward spiral worshiping other gods, the temple falling apart, and King Ammon dies, and in his place is King Josiah. Josiah becomes a king at a young age as a boy. At 16 years old, he dedicates his heart and his mind to the Lord, and he brings about great reform. He was one of the good kings. And he begins to call the people to repentance, and he tries to rebuild the temple, which was now built some 350 years before him. He's going to rebuild, refurbish the temple. And while they're doing this, they come across the scroll, the law of the Lord, the, the, the Torah, the first five books of, of the Old Testament, which they thought were lost. And Scripture says that they began to read it, and Josiah fell on his face, he tore his robe, and he just wept and wept because the Word of God was rediscovered and the conviction that it brought. And Josiah called the entire nation. It would be like 
the president calling America to repentance. He called all of the people back to covenant relationship with God to turn their back on false idols and these, and these false worship temples. And, and the people responded. And there was a, a revival of sorts in the Old Testament. And Israel is back, or Judah, is back climbing to its pinnacle. And then, like all good things, Josiah dies. He dies in battle with the Egyptians. I think it was... Uh, Pharaoh Necho, who rolled through and, and killed uh, Josiah. And in Josiah's place, one of his sons uh, takes over, and he becomes King Jehoahaz. And he has just a short reign, three months. And Egypt rolls, and King uh, Pharaoh Necho rolls back through, takes him off the throne after three months. And he puts his brother, who is a bigger moron than he was, puts him on the throne. And for 11 years, they, they deteriorate. They lead Judah into destruction. And this is where Habakkuk comes in. And he's like, what's happening? I mean, we go from, from, from Solomon down here, and now we're coming back up, and Josiah's bringing reform, and the people are turning back to God, and suddenly we're right back to where we started. How did things turn out like this? Where did, where did it all go wrong? Listen to more of Habakkuk 1. How long, O Lord? Must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice, and why do you tolerate wrongdoing, and, and why is destruction and violence that are before me? There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. See, he finds himself in the dip. Can we transition? Thank you. He finds himself in the dip. See, life for Habakkuk uh, was, was down here, and, and then suddenly life begins to take a turn because King Josiah enters and life begins to ramp up and people are called to repentance, and Habakkuk is like, finally, finally we're getting back on track and things are looking good, and then just before he, he's ready to celebrate, he goes into the dip. And, and he finds himself from here where, where life was good and suddenly he's down here. And he goes through a crisis of belief, meaning that what he believes about God is not what he's experiencing. Because he believes that God is good, he believes that God is just, and yet he's not seeing justice and he's not seeing goodness. He finds himself in the dip. Hey, what, what do you do when you find yourself in the dip and you find yourself in a crisis of belief as, as Blackaby puts it in his book experiencing God what, what is what does that look like for you because we all know what this is like when when life is moving in an upward direction and life just seems good and your kids are obedient and you and your spouse are clicking or you and your boyfriend or girlfriend life is good and the relationship is strong and you're experiencing faith and the word of God is alive to you and and your favorite song every time you get in the car your favorite songs on the radio and there's a front row parking space for you at the mall even at Christmas time and and in the miracle of all miracles the pastor's sermons are at actually getting shorter and you're like oh my god this is so good and you're like life is finally what it should be and then before you know it you go from here to here and it happens with one phone call with one meeting in the boss's office with one doctor's visit with one too many drinks 
one late night at the office and everything comes crashing down and you are in the dip. And you're wondering what happened. How, 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 how is this happening, God? Why, why is this happening to me? Why is it happening to my children? Why am I going through this? Especially those of you who are like, God, I've been serving you for 20 plus years and this is where I find myself. What happened? And you're having a crisis of belief where you no longer know what it is you believe. Because what you believe about God is not what you're experiencing. And the longer this dip goes, the harder it is. And many of us in this point, faith in the dip, often it's not pretty. Sometimes it's scratching and clawing to just hold on, searching for answers, wrestling with God. So what do you do when you're in the dip? I think we have a few choices. This will be a little sloppy, but you'll be okay with it. I think we can exit. That doesn't even look like exit, but you know what I mean. I think we can exit. We can be like, all right, if this is where life is now, I'm out. And this is where people say, well, hey, I tried God. You heard that phrase, right? I hear it all the time. I tried God, and he didn't change the situation. He didn't make life any better. He's not changing the circumstances. I tried. He failed. I'm out. You have that option. You can exit when you're in the dip. I think our, our, our second ob- uh, 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 option is I think we can pretend I think we can actually pretend, hey, that life is still up here. And believe it or not, I see this one all the time. Especially those who are, I'm I'm in faith, I will make no negative declaration about my life. Forget about what the doctors say. Forget about what my marriage is like. Forget about what my children are doing. I'm just going to pretend that everything is fine, and I'm going to just continue to fake it until I make it, and I'm just going to build facades. I'm going to pretend it's good. And, and some would say, well, well that, that, that's faith. Mm, mm, not really. Not really. Faith isn't denying your circumstances. See, there, there, there's, there's a problem here. If you're unwilling to be honest with yourself, and if you're unwilling to be honest with God and with others about where you find yourself in the dip, you're setting yourself up. You're setting yourself up for disaster. See, because one of the things that will never happen if you pretend, you will never grow through this situation. See, in order to get from point A to point B, when we start, you know, to climb again, in order to get from point A to point B, you have to first know that you're at point A. In other words, you can't get somewhere if you don't know where you're at. I know from experience. Uh, I think it was early on in our marriage, probably, I I think we were married at this point, a couple months in, and I was down in Tempe around ASU in, you know, deep in in the the school buildings and stuff like that, and my wife graduated from there, and I was totally lost. I'm driving in circles, and finally I call her, and I put this off because I'm a dude, and I was too proud, proud to call her. Finally I call her, I'm like, baby, I'm lost at ASU, can you get me home? And she's like, yes, where are you? And I said, I don't know. And she said, I can't help you. Click and hung up on me. 
Because you can't get to where you're going if you don't know where you are. And if we're just going to pretend in the dip, you're never going to get through the dip. You're never going to get to point B, point C, whatever that looks like, because you can't get to where you're going if you don't know where you are. The other problem is, is that if we pretend, sometimes we will exert so much energy, so much effort to build this facade, to pretend that eventually the, 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 the rug is pulled out from under us because we're exhausted, because we put so much energy into faking it. Listen, listen. I'm speaking from experience. There's something quite powerful and healthy by admitting I'm in the dip. There's something powerful about it. There's something about it to to admitting it to yourself, to wrestle with it with God, and to admitting it to those close to you to say, look, I'm not all that healthy right now. My faith is not what I wish it would be. And I'm struggling right now, and I have questions, and I don't have answers, and I'm looking for God, and, and, and I'm not really finding the answers that I need. I'm, 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 I'm in the dip. There's something powerful about gathering people around you when you're in the dip. We'll talk about that next week. There's something powerful in the dip to say, I believe. Can you help me overcome my unbelief? I think our, our last option in the dip is that we wrestle. That we just wrestle through it. See, in order for you to get through the dip, you're going to have to go through the dip. There's no other way around it. And so the only option that we're left with is to wrestle. And when we look through Scripture, it is full of, of, of people who wrestled with God over the dip, over the situation that they, find them, that they found themselves in. Just look at Psalm 13. It says, How long, or Lord, how long will you forget me? Hey, is it going to be forever? You ever feel that way? How long? Is this just what the rest of my life is like? How long will you look the other way? And how long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? This is wrestling with a raw and a real faith. And this is quite healthy. Look at what Job has to say. He says this. He says, does it please you to oppress me? To spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked? Why then did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before any eye ever saw me. Hey, those are some harsh words. Do you understand? God would rather have us be honest with him than have us exit in the dip. He'd rather have us bring our honest struggles, even through all of the pain, even when it's not pretty, not a prayer of, oh, Lord, oh, God. Thou seeth all. Sometimes the prayer is, do you even understand what's happening? Have you turned your eye against me? Have you left me here to die? That's being raw. That's being real. That is the, God, I still believe, but you have to help me with my unbelief. Because I'm in the dip. And life is dark. And I don't know what the future looks like. See, when I was young, Early on in my faith, doubt was a sign of weakness. That's what I was told. And that if you doubt, and if you doubt enough, that your faith was actually in question. 
people would gather around you and say, we're not really sure that you're a follower of Christ because of this doubt that you have. Because if you were a real believer, you wouldn't have any doubt. My wife grew up in the same, the same idea. And the older that I get now, I realize that doubt is actually can be a catalyst in our faith. If we'll approach it correctly, and if we'll wrestle with it, and wrestle through it, and ask the difficult questions, and maybe, just maybe, that Habakkuk's willingness to name the elephant stomping around in the room was the process that began rebuilding his faith. So what's the elephant in your faith room? What does that look like for you? Listen to the conclusion of chapter 1, where God responds to him. And God says, okay, Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I were, even if you were told. And now you'd be thinking, uh, Habakkuk has to be like, yes, finally God's going to come through. He's going to wrap this up. It just took a couple prayers, a couple sentences. And God's like, yeah, I'm on my way and I'm going to solve this. And it's a sitcom. But that's not what was about to happen. God was was about to say, hey, what's going to happen? It's going to get worse before you come through it. Here's what he says. I'm raising up the Babylonians. Understand there's three major world powers at this time. There's the Babylonians who are on the incline. They're on the rise. There's Egypt on the decline. And there's the Assyrians who are on the decline. And God says, I'm going to take your enemy and I'm gonna, they're going to sweep through and things are about to get worse. He says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. They are feared and dreaded people, and they are law to themselves, and they promote their own honor. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock and scoff rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by by building earthen ramps. They capture them. They sweep past them like the wind and go on. This wasn't what Habakkuk wanted to hear but it's not a sitcom. And your life is not a sitcom. And your situation is probably not going to be resolved in 30 minutes or 30 days. And this was his struggle. And so what do you do when you find yourself in the dip? Here's my thought. You both wrestle with honest questions and embrace a genuine faith in God. Look, I'm going to wrestle with you while I'm embracing you. In other words, I'm not leaving. I'm not exiting. I'm not jumping ship. I'm going to wrestle, but I'm going to embrace. And we see this quite beautifully at at, at the end of chapter 1. Here's where it says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. Here's, Here's Habakkuk, embracing what he knows about God. I'm embracing this faith. This is what I know to be true. And then he says in verse 12, You, Lord, you've appointed them to execute judgment. I'm wrestling with this. I really don't understand this. But you, you are my rock. I'm embracing what I know about you. You've ordained them to punish. I'm wrestling with this. I don't like what I'm hearing. And your eyes are too pure to look on evil. I'm embracing you. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. I'm embracing you. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? I'm wrestling with this. Why are you silent while 
the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves. And I, I, I wish there was an easy answer for us. I wish this was easily solved. But it's not. Hope in the darkness comes through wrestling through the darkness. See, we're, we're just in chapter one. There's three chapters in Habakkuk. And chapter two is not much better. But that's many of our stories. This is what we wrestle with. Listen to this quote. What if honestly acknowledging your doubts, as Habakkuk did, is your first step toward building a deeper faith? What if embracing your secret questions opens the door for a maturing knowledge of God's character? What if drawing closer to God, developing genuine intimacy with Him, requires you to bear something that, does, that feels unbearable? To hear Him through an ominous utterance, to trust Him in the moment of doom, to embrace His strength when you're weak with a burden, what if it takes real pain to experience abiding hope? If you're waiting for uh, the happy conclusion of the sermon, there really isn't one. I, I can't put this in a package for you to say, you know, go your way, life is good. If you want that, I mean, there's plenty of guys who'll give that to you. Right? Go listen to Joel Olstein, he'll package it nice and neat for you. I'm not, I'm not bagging on this. what he does. He's good at it. But many times it's not reminiscent of my darkness. It's not my life. Because my problem isn't wrapped up in a 30-minute sermon. And if I'm looking out at some of your faces, I know your stories, and your problem hasn't been wrapped up in a 30-minute sermon. And so you're going to have to wrestle with it. What I can promise you is that God is okay with your questions. And he's okay with you wrestling. Let me ask. If you've been through the dip, right? Just minor things. Lost my job, got a new job a couple days later. Someone told me today that when she was younger, she lost a child went through the dip. If you've been through the dip and you've came out on the other side with a faith that is renewed and stronger, I'm not going to ask you to say anything, but would, would you stand up just for those who are in the dip now that they can see that you've made it through the dip? Yeah. Now, for some of you that are standing right now, you're back in the dip. I know your story. And part of me wanting you to stand is that you remind yourself, all right, I've been through the dip before. I'm going to come through it. You're going to come through it. But to get through it, you got to go through it. Let everyone stand with me. We're going to continue um, with chapter 2 of Habakkuk. And listen, <laughs> if you'll wrestle with this, something will happen in your faith. 
There's no easy answers over the next couple weeks, but if you'll wrestle with it, if you'll ask the difficult questions, if you'll allow yourself to remain, something will happen. Your faith will begin to be re-engaged, will begin to be re-stirred, will become alive, and it will become stronger. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we want to thank you for those who stood as a testimony that you brought them through the dip. And I pray for those who stood and find themselves in the dip again, that you would remind them of what you did back then and how you brought them through it. And how there were times when life seemed unbearable and, and, and the situations seemed like they couldn't hold up under the weight, and yet here they are. And would it serve as a reminder of your faithfulness to them. And those who are in the dip that were not able to stand, I pray that they would gain some faith from their brothers and sisters who did stand. That they would gain some hope that those surrounding me understand me. And they've been through my situation. It may have been colored a little different, but we've been, your, your story is nothing new. And would you receive hope that other brothers and sisters, other followers of Christ have been where you are and God has seen them through, through the struggle, through the wrestling, through the tension. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room and everyone who will listen to this podcast, I pray that everyone who hears this message, that none of them will exit the faith. I pray that no one here and no one who listens will say, I tried God and he did not work for me. So I pray that we would embrace the struggle, embrace the fight, embrace the wrestling, and embrace you. I bless you, church, in your struggle to wrestle and to put your bow, your package together and to fight for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. I look forward to seeing you next week.